Good evening, everybody. Welcome inside the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live here on Bob Long Sports. My name is Bob Long, but again, I cannot do this alone. Here is my crew, Kevin Long, Tom Trainer, alongside K-Mac, not yet back from his fishing trip. Might be ice fishing at this point, at least up here in the Northeast. We welcome him back uh, hopefully next week. But guys, a tough week for Villanova basketball. We were imploring the Wildcats to blow somebody out last week. They did that. They blew out Marquette. Then they went and got blown out themselves against Creighton. The team that looks like a two-horse race now at the top of the Big East. And Villanova had a chance to really stamp their way towards another relatively uncontested Big East title. That is clearly not the case now. And uh, it sets up what should be an interesting final 25 days of the season. So to each of you guys, quick around the horn, thoughts on Villanova basketball as we sit here today on the 16th of February. Yeah, so starting with the Marquette game uh, earlier in the week, it was a really encouraging effort from the guys, really pulled away, especially late in that game. And I was really encouraged with the way that Jeremiah Robinson Earl shot three ball. I really have not seen that game from him uh, yet this year. So that that was really great to see. Guys will start to respect that a little bit more. That'll make the drive even more effective for him moving forward. And, uh, you know, moving on to the Creighton game, um, obviously not Villanova's best effort, but you, you got to tip the cap a little bit to Creighton with the way that they played. I mean, coming into this game, they were uh, either 15-5, and 14-5 and five on the year, had not played their best basketball yet, but I think we saw that uh, on Sunday. Uh, it was definitely the best most complete game that they've put together. Marcus Zagorowski looked like the guy that we thought we'd see coming into this year. Uh, Ballack couldn't miss a shot no matter where he was on the floor. The team just just really picked up the pace to a point where Villanova was very uncomfortable. You could see that. Um, it wasn't necessarily the turn of the bug that got us this time, but it was all, all over the Floor. So um, overall, I would say, you know, not not thrilled with the week, but I'm OK with with where we are. I think that this team has a little ways to go if we're if we're going to be a title contender again here in March. But um, I, I think that the pieces are there right now. I'm not not ready to write this season off based off of a, a one bad game versus Creighton. I agree, Kev. Sometimes you just get outplayed. Um, and Creighton is probably one of two or three teams in the Big East that has fans in the arena. And we know the fans in Omaha love their Creighton basketball. So that adds another variable that Villanova hasn't really been used to yet or faced yet this season. And sometimes you just get outplayed. I think, as you said, Kev, Villanova played their most possibly, you know, one of their most complete games of the season against Marquette. And then on Saturday, faces Creighton and possibly Creighton's most complete game of the season thus far. And that's just, you know, how the cookie crumbles as a great um, news man once said, and uh, from, from one of your favorite cities. And so, <laughs> yeah, uh, so that, that's, that's just, that's just how it plays out sometimes. And uh, again, no cause for concern. I think Creighton just had a really good game on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, Bruce Almighty, love the reference, love the reference. Of course, our buddy Steve Carell got his start, maybe not his start, but had a hell of a role in that as well. 
But yes, uh, I think those are good thoughts. Listen, Creighton played as good a game of basketball, most complete game of basketball, arguably that I've seen in college basketball this year. I think you could say that Gonzaga played a couple very complete games this year as well. Baylor has played some very complete games this year, but Creighton, that particular effort, no one's going to call them the most complete team in the country, or I should say the most consistent team in the country, but they can play a full 40 minutes of basketball, I think as well as anybody. And that's what we saw on uh, over the weekend. So we'll take that as we will and move now into a series of questions that are essentially burning in the hearts and minds of Villanova basketball fans. That's tonight's opening tip. All right, so our first question here on the opening tip is in line with the question and really some of the comments we just asked. Who's really the better team, Creighton or Villanova? Put each of them in their best performance on their best day. Who's the better team? What was Saturday emblematic of, or, or was it really not a true look at, at who's the better team? I think they're pretty evenly matched. I think both teams have, have a lot of weapons, especially around the perimeter. Um, but both teams are, so I would say both teams are very strong offensive teams and are okay defensive teams. And I think in some cases it's who's got the hotter hand on that given night. I really do think that's the case. Um, it is a little perplexing when you look and you see that Creighton has five losses in the big East conference. Uh, and you look at some of the teams they lost to some games at home, um, in Omaha, um, which we just spoke about as a strength for them. And, and so that's a little perplexing. However, I think what, what, when you saw, see these teams in the head-to-head matchup um, on Saturday, they look pretty evenly matched. And I think it, one thing that we don't talk a lot or don't talk often enough about when it comes to Villanova basketball is post play, especially interior defensive play. And I think we saw it again on Saturday. I think we've seen it a few times this year. And I know JRE does so many wonderful things, and we don't like to talk bad about it. But he has had his lunch stolen several times this year by big men on opposing teams. And Bishop did that again to him this past Saturday. I think that is something that Villanova basketball needs to figure out. I think that that is, from what I can see, um, something that separates these two teams, or at least separated them on Saturday, was the post play of Bishop doing virtually whatever he wanted versus yeah. JRE. But then also, Bob, one of your one of your old and and most favorite uh, problems with Villanova is guarding the simple pick and roll. Yeah, there Still you go. Still something right? that Villanova, this Villanova basketball team struggles to do. Yeah, because it's partially a JRE issue. But again, uh, they're not they're not communicating well enough. They're not. Uh, making the right decisions. And I'll give Marcus Zagorowski a lot of credit. And I'll also give the broadcast crew, Nick Bahe, as well as Tim Brando, a lot of credit. They recognized that it was Marcus Zagorowski taking what the defense gives, gives him. And, and basically it was stated on the broadcast and appropriately so that once you run that same look at Zagorowski a couple of times, he's going to take advantage of it. So if it's a flash from that off-ball defender on that pick and roll, then all of a sudden you have two on Zagorowski for just enough time for Bishop to slip, throw the lob. Uh, if if you have to try to have the first defender f- fight through the screen and the second is going to stay on on the big man, then Zagorowski can take it to the hole. 
if that happens and then a help side defender then crashes, then he finds Mitch Ballack wide open. So, you know, yes, I think it's something that Villanova needs to get better at and always has struggled with to some extent. However, you're also looking at one of the best offensive teams in the country. And one of the reasons they're one of the best offensive teams in the country is because they do that thing very well. So my answer to the question is actually, I think Creighton's ceiling is higher than Villanova's. And that's something I, I would have said and did say at the beginning of the year as well. They are senior laden. They are super experienced with Balak and Zagorowski. Bishop has come into his role very, very well. This is a really good basketball team. And it left me scratching my head more so when they struggled against the Providences of the world. Uh, then it surprises me when they blow out a team like Villanova. I think Villanova is one of the most consistent teams in the country, as we'll get to and we've talked about this year. But just like I said last week, I am begging this team to blow more teams out. And I'm wondering if it's because, in part, I just don't know what the ceiling of this team is. Uh, relative to Creighton, I'm not saying they're not a top 15 team in the country every day of the week. I'm not saying they can't make the Elite Eight. But Creighton's a team that, and we said it in the pregame or pre-season podcast, that you know Creighton on any given night might be the best team in the country. You can go back to our second episode, I believe, we were talking about that. I think that's the case on what we saw this past weekend. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're right in saying that, Bob. This, I mean, if Creighton plays the way that they did, like they did over the weekend, they'll they'll end up in the final four. There's, I mean, there's really no doubt about it. They look incredible, but it's can they put together that kind of consistent effort over a long period of time? And to go back to the question, I, I see it as a very, very even uh, matchup, to be honest. And and you know, obviously, you, you want to pick a side here, but you look at these teams, like you said, both very upperclassmen heavy. They have most of these teams really both five men deep have a little bit of a bench to work with, but you got your five starters who all average double digit points. And then there's a pretty big fall off when you go to your bench after that Um, really great guard play, right? We have Justin Moore and we have Gillespie, they have Zagorowski, they have Balick. You know, they have, they have Bishop plays fairly similar to the way that JRE plays. I see this as a pretty even battle. I I think if you match these teams up 10 times, I think you're going to get an even split five and five. Uh, Creighton got the better one of that matchup there. I think that they were coming out ready to play. If if I'm not mistaken, the top 16 had, had just come out for the first time just before that game and Creighton found themselves just outside and, and maybe they had a little bit of extra motivation there. They, they certainly came out with more energy uh, you know, their their game is definitely more so the, the up-tempo to, to Villanova's half-court style, which they were able to to execute and impose their will. Um, so I'm really intrigued to see how this is going to end up when I think it was March 3rd when they play again. Uh, but I think these teams are in a really dead-even heat, obviously both very well coached at this point. Um, uh, you know, I think these teams are are very, very similar right now. Yeah, the only the other two guys we didn't mention were, were Mahoney and Jefferson, both of whom are really good small forward type guys, guys that can slash to the hoop, guys that can shoot. It's just five guys you got to defend in space at any given time. That's what most impressed me. You know, with that said, right, let's go on to our next question here because 
Creighton played so well, sure. Villanova didn't quite play as well. Uh, I actually thought the first half was a fairly complete half for Villanova. I thought they played decently well, but missed four point-blank layups. Marginal contest, but layups you need to make 90% of the time. So when Villanova doesn't get its best play from Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and that's what we saw on Saturday, right? What's the ceiling of this Villanova team overall? Sure, but let's talk about that, right? Is this a, a deep team or is this a team that is dependent upon Gillespie and Robinson Earl to truly outwork and kind of go on the plus side, a plus minus against their opponents? Well, I, I would say that this team is not going to go very far without those two. I think if one of those, if they, if both of those guys put up a game where they're not, if they don't have it together, they won't make it out of the first weekend. I think these guys, they need to bring their stuff. You just look at the rest of the lineup, you know, uh, Jermaine Samuels is not going to handle the bulk of the duty. Although he has scored a lot of points over the past week, he does not know how to facilitate the ball. He can't run an offense. I think the the next guy that maybe could would be Justin Moore. And and although he has put up some good numbers, I've you know honestly been a little frustrated with the way that he plays the game. And and you know as we like to say, gets a little triangular. He he has a little bit of Phil Booth in him out there, and you see him dribble himself into a corner or. You know, even if he's not in trouble, you just sometimes it's all of a sudden the shot clock's down to five and he's still got the ball. He hasn't given it up yet. So I don't know that I trust him to to facilitate the offense if Colin doesn't have it. And, um, you know, Caleb Daniels, I don't think he's necessarily at that point where he can facilitate this offense. So we, we especially need Colin Gillespie to be there every single night and it certainly helps when Jeremiah Robinson Earl brings his A game as well. Yeah, I think, by the way, let's talk about Caleb Daniels just for a second. I think the book is out on him at this point, and that's not to say that he can't make an adjustment over the last 25 days of the regular season here. He certainly can. He's good enough, but yeah, I kind of think the book is out a little bit. Uh, He's not shooting the ball quite as well. I think opponents know that he is really only comfortable dribbling with the right hand and attacking to the right. I think opponents are realizing that he does get a little bit loose with the off arm. He's also a big, strong guy, perhaps does not get the benefit of the doubt there. Way too many player control fouls on Caleb Daniels. I, I think for Villanova to really get to that point, um, what they will need, in addition to Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl playing very well, is for Caleb Daniels to really be that third or fourth scorer and a guy who you can count on to get a few key rebounds defend pretty well, but more importantly, to be able to hit that wing three, that's going to be huge uh, for Villanova. And I think also allows Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robinson Earl to play better in space. Uh, If Daniels can be that dynamite three-point shooter to oppose a Cole Swider or to be the antithesis of of Jermaine Samuels, mind you, who, who can slash to the basket, that's how this offense runs. So I'm glad you brought up Daniels, Kevin. I think he's very important to the success of this team. Yeah, I mean, I, on the one hand, I think looking offensively, we've been mostly talking about offensively so far. He, he, this team is only going to go as far as Colin Gillespie takes them. I'm not saying that it's only on his shoulders. But if you look at, you know, two of the games they lost, 
Um, and even the third game, really, even though he had an outstanding scoring and shooting effort in that Virginia Tech game, and also that was so long ago at this point. You mm-hmm. look at the more recent games against St. John's and Creighton. I mean, Colin Gillespie in single-digit scoring, four, three assists, a couple of turnovers. Uh, the Villanova's best games have been games where Colin Gillespie, you know, he might not have his best shooting night, you know, he might score 14, 15 points, but there's the games where he has six, seven, even 11 assists against Marquette. And when he's not turning the ball over, um, when your floor general is, when he's on and he's moving the ball and he's quarterbacking the offense and taking care of the basketball, that that's everything starts from there and everything starts with him offensively. Even with that said, and you, you mentioned, Bob, yeah, we, we're waiting on another piece. Jermaine Samuels has been that other piece, but we know he's not consistent enough to rely on him as the third option. Um, that That's important. The the bigger issue with this team is defensively. Totally, 100%. And I don't know what the problem is. I mean, you look at their efficiency ratings, and they are they are tanking. Um, I mean, it's looking like a recession in the stock, stock market, watching, mm-hmm. watching their defensive efficiency numbers tank over the past few weeks. Um, where their offensive numbers have been pretty consistent. I mean, and even against Creighton, they score 70 points. It's not their best. Uh, there's not their average, but but that's not terrible. It's the giving up 86 points to a good offensive team. Um, but it's there's something about this team, I said in the beginning of the year. Now, I know it's it's tough to compare any team to those 2016, 2018 teams because they were tough teams like they were as tough of a group of individuals and has tough leaders hard-nosed leaders on those teams as you'll find on any team ever um but this team just defensively lacks a certain level of toughness i don't see the frenetic hands arms at times and discipline you we could talk about pick and roll defense all the all day long and i think it also becomes a depth issue because inevitably when you have to put a cole slider on the floor when you put a Brandon Slater on, where you put an Eric Dixon on the floor, things fall apart. God help us. Yeah. I mean, things fall apart. And so we can talk about offense all night long, but offense really isn't the problem. The problem with this team is defense. Yeah. And I, I said the, the offense will go as far as Con Gillespie goes. Well, this team overall will go as far as their defense goes. Right. Yeah. And you talk about uh, the, defensive efficiency looking like a recession all we need is the entire nova nation to come here and and buy up the stock right because there's a short sale by by creighton and some other big east hedge funds here we need to buy it up right <laughs> unlimited yeah. losses for, for link it up robin Hood. come on let's make it happen <laughs> Well, the one thing I'll say, though, is, is when they went to a, a zone defense against Creighton, I, I thought they actually looked a little better. I don't think they stuck with it for too, too long, but and I that was, was encouraged and I'm with by you, that. Jeff, that was a desperation move, right? And I, I agree that, um, that they kind of stopped the bleeding. I, I don't see that being something they're going to go to um, when the game is – I guess when they're at their normal comfort level or the game isn't getting away from them. I agree with you. Maybe it is something where this set of personnel might be better in the zone, but I saw that as a desperation move, but, but keep going. Yeah. I think they're going to need to be prepared to do that in the event that there is foul trouble. You know, if you, if you get into a game in, in March and Robinson Earl is in foul trouble and if you're forced to play Dixon or Swider, 
extensive minutes, I think you got to go back to the, the zone. I think that's really the only way that they can be effective on defense. And Jay is just realizing that now, and, and he's trying to do whatever he can to get his guys ready for March. The only, uh, the only interesting thing there is I just don't remember a time where I guess the 2016 team, they needed to go to it a few times, uh, even did so in the national championship game against North Carolina, but it's not their bread and butter. Uh, even when they did go to the zone, yes, at times they got a, a few stops, but Creighton was able to get to the ball, the ball to the center of that zone way too easily. And at that point, have to collapse. That opens up shots in rhythm for three-point shooters. That, that really uh, takes the zone out of its effectiveness. And again, if they're going to go to zone, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. But again, that's a concern. And Tom, you said about, you know, effort and toughness, you know, sure, certainly that 2016 team, as much as any team I can remember, had that type of toughness. But I still think the effort is there. I think it's more like you said, it's more about the discipline. It's more about being in the right spots at the right time. <clears throat> Colin Gillespie rushes back down the, down the floor after missing not one but two layups and pokes the ball from behind. I think we're still seeing plenty of that. I still think we're seeing a lot of active trying to team rebound. It's positioning and defensive scheme and and those specific issues that I think are causing this defense to go through quite a lull here. And yeah, in some ways it does uh, link up with when they came back from COVID pause. I'm not blaming it on that, but it does kind of link up timing wise there. So I think both of you are right in that the defense is going to be a key part of what this team does going forward. I didn't think the offense was awful against Creighton. It was just trying to keep up with a defense uh, with an opposing offense. when you, the defense could not get stops. So with that said, knowing what you know right now, knowing the schedule ahead of Villanova and knowing all of the uh, both successes and deficiencies of this team, does Villanova look like a two seed to you right now? And where do you see them going realistically in the NCAA tournament? I would say no at this point. I think that we've seen enough flaws to say that I'm not sure that this team is a two seed right now. Um, you know, we, we certainly have a good win over Texas where we can say, you know, they're sitting on the three, four line right now. And, and maybe that propels us into that spot and, um, you know, may, maybe there aren't a whole lot of teams that are knocking down the door to, to necessarily take that two seat away from us. There's been uh, a lot of fluctuation over the past couple of weeks. But, you know, when I think of a two seed, you know, you think of a 2016 team and then maybe that's not the right comparison to make. It's a whole different year. It's a whole different college basketball landscape. We have, like we talked about last week, a lot of the normal blue bloods who aren't there this year who aren't knocking down the, the door for those one and two seeds. So I think we maybe could end up in that situation. I think that we could easily finish the rest of this big East season with only maybe one more loss. And, and maybe we either make a deep run in the big East tournament or could certainly win it. I, I don't necessarily see a whole lot of teams other than Creighton who um, have, have challenged Villanova a whole lot, but, I would just say that right now it doesn't feel like they're as strong as they have been in years past when they've been uh, vying for a top seed, but do they get there at the end of the day? 
they, they probably will just because of the state of college basketball right now and just their remaining schedule and, and the games that they missed, honestly, over, over the first half of the season. Sure. Yeah, I think they are. I think they're probably back in two seed right now, early three seed. I think what's really important is this UConn game on, on Saturday of next week because you have a chance to kind of really stymie some of the uh, the regression here. They're two and two in their last four. UConn's a huge game because they're hanging on the fringes of that Big East title race. Not really. You know, they're, they're fourth, but it's an important game. Huge game for UConn. First time seeing Villanova back in the Big East. If Villanova can take care of business there, then they're going to play St. John's at home. I think they'll learn from that first game and take down St. John's. Then they play Butler. Uh, they have their last game of the season against Providence. And the penultimate game is Creighton at home. Again, does it matter? Not as much this year. But that penultimate game against Creighton, in, in many, many of these uh, models, if you're modeling it out, I, I think that determines your Big East regular season champion, that game right there. So, again, we're talking about this team. And the lens through which we were looking at that entire first half of the discussion, as far as I'm concerned, is, hey, comparing it to Creighton, who, Kevin, you said it, right? They're a Final Four caliber team. And if they can play with that type of consistency, they can beat anybody in the country. So we're talking about Villanova in that lens. But I still believe that they are a top 10 team, even right now, even the way they played against Creighton. And what happens against UConn is going to be really, I think, a big uh, determinant of what the final three weeks of the season are going to look like and what type of momentum, if any, they have going into the Big East tournament and then the NCAA tournament in Indiana. Yeah, I think the the first question, I think, is an easier answer. I think it's more likely than not that Villanova ends up being a top two seed. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they could still earn a one seed. I mean, uh, Kevin's right. I, I foresee Villanova losing one, maybe two games at most in the remainder of their schedule. Um, I think they're still the f- favorite to win the Big East tournament. If they do that, I think they're knocking on the door for one seed. Um, and, and you know, now here we are thinking, are they even going to be a two seed? Um, so I think more likely than not, they will be a top two seed. The question of are they top two seed caliber, uh, th- that's a little more nuanced there. I I mean, obviously, prisoner of the moment tells me, no, they don't look like a top eight basketball team in the country. Um, we've been waiting for them to blow teams out. They you know, blew out finally Marquette last week, but they still don't look like a dominant basketball team. If you're supposed to be a top two seed, you're supposed to be one of the more dominant basketball teams in the country. And yeah, a lot of time I watch them and they're not that. However, however, think about their losses. They've lost to two top 25 teams. They have a great win over Texas and their other losses are St. John's team who is probably going to make the tournament. Um, so, I mean, the, all their losses are to tournament caliber teams, including two teams that are top four seed caliber. Um, so, I mean, where they've faltered, I mean, <laughs> are good places to falter. Uh, if there is such a thing, and then they've taken care of business otherwise. So um, I would say, I would say, yes, they, they are a top eight caliber team, especially when this year uh, there have been a lot of surprises. Well, let's do that. Right. Let's, let's just talk about it. Are they better than Gonzaga? This is a, no, Kevin. Yeah. You can answer too. Are they better than Baylor? No. 
No, right? No. They're not. Now here's where it gets interesting. Are they better than Michigan? Let's just say no, but uh, come on. I mean, they're 14 and one. They haven't played a ton of games. Um, they have looked good at times, but they've also had some games where you've scratched their head as to why it's taken so long for them to take care of business in the Big Ten. Are they better than Ohio State, 17 and four? That team is playing pretty good right now. I'll give them some credit. But they started the year not as well. But uh, let's just say no, right? Let's just say those four teams are better than Villanova, quote unquote. Are they better than Illinois, 14 and five? Now, I think they'd have a lot of problems guarding Coburn inside for the same reasons that they've had trouble guarding Georgetown's bigs, Creighton's big. Um, but are they better than Illinois? They might be better than Illinois. Are they better than Houston, 17-2? and two? I think they're better than Houston. You guys can jump in any time on these. but I would agree on the Houston. Well, I, I think, think we're probably somewhere like around that Illinois-Ohio State line. Are they better than UVA? See, see I, I think it's a toss-up. Michigan down. Michigan, yeah. Michigan to Texas is a toss-up right now. You look at those rankings. Yeah. I think three through 12 is a total toss up right now. Yep. And the ACC outside of Virginia is nowhere to be seen, which shows you how weird of a year this is. Right. So yes, they are. Right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Loyola Chicago is number 22 in the country with four losses out of that conference. No disrespect, but four losses. Wisconsin is number 21 in the country with seven losses. Seven. Just lost to, to Drake after Drake lost their best player, too. Yeah. So an, That's an unimpressive Loyola. loss there. Sure. Yeah. Right. So, again, and I know Villanova has three losses, and they had a pause. I don't don't get me wrong there. I, I understand that. But Southern Cal at number 17, I get that Virginia Tech beat them, but, you know, Virginia Tech, I don't know. I guess, Bob, it becomes the question of, right, as a Villanova fan, so inside the Villanova bubble, you watch this 2020-2021 team play. Are they better than last year's team? Yes. Better than the team the year before? Yes. Better than 2018? Absolutely not. Better than 2017? No. Better than 2016? No. Better than 2015? No. Better than 2014? Probably not. Yeah, so that, in, 2014 in terms, is interesting. In terms that... of Villanova basketball teams, yeah. Again, I said probably not. I mean, Villanova, in terms of where Villanova basketball teams in, in the past five, six years, where this team falls, um, you know, most of those teams are better than this team, at least when I, when I watch them sit and watch them play and, and compare. Um, but when you look at the picture of this season, it shows a very, very different story. I also don't know that this team is any better than last year's team. I know a lot of guys are getting a year older, but Sadiq Bay was an All-American. Who is that guy this year? I guess Robinson Earl, but Sadiq Bay is, is better than Robinson Earl is the last year relative to this year. I, and that team was – it's funny. Everyone likes to say they were playing so well, and they did have some good games down the stretch, and they were going to be a three, maybe a two seed, right? We're having the same discussion. But again, they had to beat Georgetown on a – um, Jermaine Samuels, you know, goaltend and, uh, and who the heck knows, right? There were a lot of games last year. This team feels very similar 
to last year's. And I think is on par with that 2014 team. Actually, that was a two seed and lost in Buffalo to UConn. I think it's hard for, for Villanova fans to swallow this Creighton pill. I, I can't remember a time in recent years when I've watched the team this late in the season get dominated. And, and, and really, they were just not as athletic as Creighton. And I think that was just a shock to the system to see uh, a team play that much better than us. I mean, I think we saw it, I think it was last year when we played Michigan early at home and we were just absolutely outmanned by them. And, and obviously we got better as the year went on, but Jay Wright generally gets his team going by now. Again, we had a three week layoff, so that's part of it too. But I, I think it was just a shock to, to watch this game and say, this team looks better than us by the eye test. Yes. They had the, their best game of the year. I, I get that. And we didn't necessarily do that, but it just felt like we didn't have, the talent and and it looked like Creighton was one of those top teams in the nation, even though they've stumbled a few times themselves. Now, I know we, we got to move on to our other topics. Bob just segued to with uh, Mr. Bay mentioned uh, a minute ago, but, um, but I, I, I think that this Creighton team reminds me of 2015 to 2017 Xavier. Yeah, I I think there were a few times we lost at Xavier in pretty convincing fashion. You know, maybe not double digits, um, but pretty darn convincing fashion enough so that you could look at that Xavier basketball team and say, yeah, they look like they're possibly better than Villanova is. Um, and, and that's how I kind of look at this Creighton team. I think their team, like that Xavier team, that um, probably will make it to the second weekend of the tournament and have a shot to go to the Final Four. Who knows if they will? But but I, I don't know if I don't know if this Creighton team, Kevin, is the first time I've seen a Big East team play Villanova and say, wow, they might be better than Villanova. I, I, I think those Xavier teams were, were pretty darn good. But but I, I think that this Creighton team is certainly maybe the only team to have matched that. Yeah. Last point, right? 2018, that last game at the Cintas Center was one of the final games of the regular season. And Xavier played really well. I mean, they shot – Pretty good basketball. They hit a lot of tough shots, but that was just a game. And that might've been one of those 17, 18 or 19 three point field goal games for Villanova. And there was a shot. I remember in particular, Mikhail Bridges coming off a screen end of the shot clock way deep at the top of the key, barely even set his feet, hit a three. It was just one of those nights where you felt like, wow, you know, Chris Mack, hell of a coach. He may have even in some ways come to that game with a better game plan than Villanova. But Villanova just hit some unbelievable, ill-advised shots to win that game. And I don't think as good as Caleb Daniels is from beyond the arc, even Cole Swider, you know, he's not taking shots like that. He's taking feeder set. There's a little bit of space shots. Colin Gillespie, he's not taking you know, those types of shots that even like, uh, and he, this guy wasn't on the team, but like a Josh Hart or like a Mikhail Bridges was able to take off balance. I just don't know if this team has that amount of talent and that's okay. That doesn't mean that this team can't go to a final four, can't contest against any team in the country. It's just that what Villanova fans and what we are in this show now comparing Villanova to is probably the greatest basketball team not named 
remind me of the year 2012 Kentucky kid Gilchrist Anthony Davis I mean in a long time so we have to keep that in mind that this is a team that's going to be a high seed in the tournament every year with the talent they're bringing in have a chance to go deep in the tournament every year but yes this may not be on par with the greatest Villanova basketball team in program history and you know what that that's okay as well any other questions, guys, before we move on to the next segment? Any burning questions that Nova Nation would like to have fleshed out? None. Hearing none, we move on now. Yield the rest of our time to the court. Kevin Long is up next with our Cat in the Wild. All right. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Tom kind of led into this one. I think this one was a no-brainer for Nova Nation paying attention to NBA basketball this week. Our cat in the wild is Sadiq Bey. Uh, put up 30 points against the Celtics in 27 minutes, 10 of 12 from the field, including 7 of 7 from 3, 12 rebounds, just an unbelievable performance. And then even followed that up, got 30 minutes or 38 minutes in the very next game, 16 points. Six of 11, four of eight from three. A uh, really impressive game from Sadiq, a guy who uh, had a hot start in the NBA and then cooled off a little bit in December and, and into January. Uh, he's been averaging about 20 minutes a game so far this year, uh, averaging nine points a game, uh, but he is shooting 42% from three right now. So he's picking it up right now. He's getting a bigger role in this Pistons team that is, is not having as good of a year as they had hoped they might. So maybe getting a little bit more opportunities because of that for him. And, uh, you know, we, we saw with Eric Paschal last year having a very successful rookie year, and now Sadiq Bey's having a, a great rookie year. So uh, this is really good for Villanova basketball and, and Nova Nation in general. You know that recruits are taking notice and, and seeing that these guys are transitioning well into the NBA. and. Uh, Sadiq's just the latest case of that. So he is our cat in the wild for this week. Yeah, if you want to answer the question of Villanova, two-seed or better, Sadiq Bey, if he was on this team, that would be an easy question. But, man, he is doing great. That's an unbelievable start for him. Great cat in the wild there, Kev. You know, Tom, when you think about some of the best players from Villanova and the guys that have gone to the NBA, we did the active uh, – nine guys in the NBA and what teams they're on. Do you see a ceiling? And obviously guys are at different levels, but Kyle Lowry right at the end of his career. But a lot of these guys are young in the first two or three years. So do you see anything, any guy that jumps out to you and say, hey, this is a perennial all-star versus, you know, hey, he's going to be a role player. Who do you think really is set up for success among the nine guys in the league? Mikhail Bridges. And I, I think that n no question. I'll get back to Mikhail in a second. I think Sadiq is, Kevin is exactly right in a similar situation as Eric Pascal was last year out in Golden State. Uh, we will see how he progresses, you know, as Detroit, hopefully for their sake, gets more pieces to their puzzle. Uh, but we've seen Eric take a bit more of a back seat this year, uh, biding his time. So it's just all that to say, it's too early to tell for both Sadiq Bay and Eric Pascal. But Mikhail Bridges, and I just think that entire Phoenix Suns organization is going to be a heck of a lot of fun to follow over the next five 
or so years. I think they are developing. Um, I think a, you said pro, Mikhail Bridges maybe a perennial All Star. I think so. I think that Phoenix Sun team could be a perennial Western Conference contender for the foreseeable future. They are they're fun to watch, and I think Mikhail Bridges is going to. I mean, he's right now he's Devin Booker's right hand man. Um, he he is you know the Robin to the Devin Booker's Batman, and, it, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, he's got all the qualities that you want in an NBA player, right? I mean, he, he shoots the ball really well, so he's a great wingman for the Suns, and, and we remember from his days at Villanova, just an unbelievable defender, even back in his redshirt freshman days, you know, using those long, lanky arms. He's the guy down on the press, um, just a, a really impressive defender, and you hear it all the time in, in the NBA. You want a 3 and D man, and he – is is the perfect guy for that. And and I think Sadiq Bay fits right in there. I don't think he's quite as athletic as Mikhail Bridges, so maybe his ceiling is a little bit lower. But um I, I think that what you're seeing out of Sadiq right now he's gonna continue to build on. I think that he's gonna continue to grow his role with the Pistons. I don't foresee uh, you know, Eric Pascal situation where he takes a back seat. There's really nobody on the, the Pistons right now that they're expecting back next year. Um, you know, I think that they're going to continue to grow as an organization. And I think a lot of that could be built around Sadiq Bay. So I'd, I'd say he's, he's up there with Mikhail, but I think those are the, are the two guys who are really set up. You look at the rest of the guys and, you know, Arch and, and Josh Hart's having a tough time right now. It seems like Jalen is, is up and down and Jaylen, he's been a little bit. I would love, I would, so the NBA, again, not an expert on the NBA, don't really take a ton of time to watch it, but it does seem to me as if um, there are more, let's just talk about his guy, Luka Doncic, right? He's running the point. LeBron James is running the point, right? James Harden handles the ball a ton. I would love for it to be a situation where He's the John Stockton. He's the Steve Nash. Though Steve Nash could certainly score the Derek as well. Fisher. Derek... Jalen Brunson can easily play a Derek Fisher role. Absolutely. Steve Kerr, the last dance. What? <laughs> Steve Kerr. Did you watch yeah. the last dance? Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's just. Never mind. You think that's Jalen's role, like a spot? Steve up Kerr shooter? is a shooter. Let's... No. I... Um, he he handles the ball. He was a point guard, and Michael Jordan handled the ball. Are you sure about that? No, he he was a JJ Redick. Yeah, I don't think so. I, Shooting guard. I don't know. That's not how I remember. But we'll we'll agree to disagree. Fair enough. Hey, you know what? We'll you take that, that one offline. We'll we'll take that. <laughs> hey, we can cut that. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Derek or, or, Fisher. Derek Fisher. I think so. Well, and one last thing is a guy we're not talking about who Dante. is on a Dante, who is on a title. Well, they should the be a title contender. Yeah. But, I mean, he isn't putting up anything crazy offensively for the Bucks, but he's in the starting lineup every single night. Yeah. Why? Because he's long, he's athletic, he plays defense, and he can go off any given night. He's capable of that, yes. which is super valuable. And I think that just because he's not, you know, lighting it up, this year, the way Mikhail is, um, now that's because Dante has more seasoned weapons around him in Milwaukee than Mikhail has right now in Phoenix. Um, but, uh, but I think Dante is a guy that still has a very, very bright future. I like it. Good stuff. Good stuff on the cat in the wild. And with that said, we'll take it to our next and final segment of the night. 
And that is the shoot around. Welcome to the shoot around where we shout out anything and anything related to Villanova basketball or not. Um, and I will start this week's shoot around by shouting out a fellow coach of mine at Cristo Ray Philadelphia High School, and that is our assistant athletic director and varsity boys basketball coach, Guy Moore. Um, I don't know that he, he watches the show, but I'll have to get him watching and uh, let him know about the shout out. But he um, has just been working so hard, he more than anybody and his kids, and really all of our kids at our school. We didn't get to have fall sports. Um, we didn't get to start winter sports as early as everybody else did. Kept him waiting very, very patiently. Um, we're, we're located in North Philadelphia, Crystal Ray Philadelphia High School. His kids have been very, our athletes have been waiting very, very patiently. So we're super excited for his boys' basketball team to finally get on the court this past week and open up the season with two very decisive victories. Um, and he, he's building quite the program. So Guy Moore, who's a Philadelphia Catholic League name, went to Roman, has coached at North, uh, um, North Catholic and at West, and uh, he's just an all-around great guy and excited that he's finally getting to be out there with the guys coaching again. How recently was he at West? That's a good question. Um, I think he was at North more recent than West. Okay. Okay, gotcha. Oh, so North. At, at so North, been I while. believe at North when we were in high school. Interesting. Yeah, right before, unfortunately. Um, I believe down. that I would have been like a LaSalle playoff game in 2011, 2010 or 2011. Um, to see them play North in a PCL playoff game. Guy Moore getting a shout out here before you go though, Tom, do you guys have a live stream? Can folks check out guys work out there on the floor? That's right. There is a live stream here. Let me, let me pull that up and then maybe we can get that in before the end of the show, but there's a live stream um, linked up. I think an organization in Philadelphia is helping a lot of schools get the live streams up because it's a mandatory thing. Yep. Um, it's actually mandatory if you're going to have sports. You have to have it streamed live. So that was one of the stipulations cool. to bring back high school sports. So we'll, we'll get that. We'll get that for the Bob Long Sports community. Awesome. All right, Kev, you're up. All right. My shout out this week is the West Coast Conference. So uh, in this year of unprecedented, well, everything, uh, trying to come up with new ways of doing things and um, you know, the West Coast Conference is doing just that. You, you look at the college basketball landscape this year, you have a lot of teams that don't have as many games as other teams because of the, you know, if they've had a COVID issue within their team, they had to miss a couple of weeks like Villanova. Uh, you have to come up with a way to adjust your, uh, your conference standing. So you look at Villanova and if they've missed a couple of games against better teams versus uh, maybe some of those lower tier teams, you'd want your conference record to be adjusted accordingly, uh, maybe strength of schedule. So the West Coast Conference for their men's and women's tournament seeding have partnered with Ken Pomeroy to uh, seed each of their teams uh, within their tournament using Ken Palm winning percentage. So a really innovative idea. Uh, something that probably would never be done or really even needed if it wasn't for a year like this, but uh, kudos to the West coast conference for coming up with something creative and, and doing something interesting in this year. Wow. Putting that independence of the Ken Palm rankings to the test with some big time implications. Of course, Ken Palm would never, would never take any bribe or otherwise, but that is really cool. Very, very unique. Well, 
if, if Gonzaga is not number one, he, he may have been given some money. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one. My shout out tonight is to friend of the show, Mark Farzetta. And he is a guy who's gone through a lot in the past year. He most recently with us hopped on as a color commentator for a LaSalle football game, not this past season due to COVID, but the season before. And he's been on the show for a few interviews in the past. Unfortunately, 97.5 made the decision to move on from him in the morning show, brought up John Kincaid from Atlanta. And Mark, always the creative guy, found out a way to move forward, took on his own sponsors, and now is doing a 6 to 7 a.m. morning YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, and then an iTunes, Apple Podcast show. It's called The Farzy Show. Check it out. Mark Farzetta does a great job. It's now become a part of my early morning. So I, I give Mark Farzetta, our good friend of the show, all the credit in the world for embarking on a new mission. And just like we talked about, call it a month ago now, about digital platforms for college sporting events, just like we're talking about now with Christo Ray and the rest of high schools going the digital streaming route. Digital is where it's at. Listen, it's where Bob Long Sports has been living for the past 10 years, and we've carved out a nice little niche for ourselves. Mark showing that he can take that to the big time, and I wish him the best as he embarks upon his new endeavor. That's the Farzy Show every morning from 6 to 7. Great work, Mark, and uh, and we'll be continuing to listen and watch. That's that's great to hear, Bob. I mean, Mark Farzetta, he, you know, I, I enjoy listening to 97.5 in the morning, so I would, my preference is to choose that over 94.1, and Mark Farzetta was a big reason for that, and uh, it was certainly disappointed to see that they had, had let him go when they did, and, um, you know, I, I think that he, you know, was really the spark on that show, and uh, I'd be more so inclined to listen to his podcast or uh, his stream before I would even listen to 97.5 again. So I'm uh, I'm glad you shared that. I'll be tuning in. It's manageable too, Kev. It's an hour. You know, you get up in the morning, you're getting ready, or you're reading email in the first part of the morning. It's it's really manageable. He hits things quick. He has a great guest every day. It, it's a nice format. It's kind of like this, actually. You're not sitting through a four-hour show here, a nice 45-minute guy, and then you're on your way. So enjoyed the time here as always. Big, big weekend for Villanova. We highlighted the importance of that UConn game. First time back in the Big East that Villanova is going to take on UConn, and it is big. If they want to win themselves another Big East regular season title, yes, the penultimate game of the regular season against Creighton, that'll be huge. But this weekend against UConn, also a big one. For Tom Trainer, Kevin Long, I am Bob Long saying so long here from our North Wales studios, as well as people patching in from Havertown and New Jersey. Enjoyed the time, guys. Enjoy the Villanova hoops, and we'll see you next week.